person present at a conference a big PowerPoint. It says, you know, big data is like teenage sex, you know, Every, everybody's talking about it. Um, nobody really knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> and, and yet, you, you know, we, that, we all pretend, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. I'm Todd Fredrickson, I'm an assistant professor. I, I should say I'm the assistant professor. Yeah, I'm the only one. I'm Todd Fredericks, assistant professor of family medicine at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, and this is Rotations. And now our host, Nisarg Bakshi. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Nisarg Bakshi, second-year medical student at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, and this is an episode of Rotations. We have here Dr. Sebastian Diaz to talk about big data. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Diaz. Oh, thanks for having me, Nisarg. Of course. And uh, on the panel as well, we have our usual person from the street. We have uh, Lisa Forrester, resident journalist and expert of basically everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm just glad to be here. Sure. So, Dr. Diaz, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, you know, as an undergrad, I went to school just down the road here at Marietta College, and uh, I, I came from a heavy STEM background, started off in petroleum engineering and ended up being a, a chemistry major. And so I, I always had a numbers orientation to, to my career. Um, later came to high university and I did a, a PhD in um, EDRE, which is really applied statistics and measurement. And, uh, you know, what I found is I really enjoyed the complexity of numbers as they apply to social situations. And um, so uh, did a Monte Carlo simulation for my PhD work, which is, uh, you know, a lot of people sort of rolled their eyes at that because it was sort of like a misplaced dissertation, but I enjoyed it. And I was actually going to go work in industry, and on a fluke, um, I turned on a job from Anderson Consulting and mysteriously ended up at what was then Ohio University College of Osteopathic Medicine as a, as a faculty development specialist. And um, then, uh, you know, 20 years later, I've gone many different places, but have ended up back here as of a couple years ago uh, in Department of Family Medicine. So what exactly is big data then? Where is that repository found? Sure. Um, what big data is depends on the particular field you're talking about. So if, if, if you're talking about, um, let's say, um, physicists who work with, uh, you know, in the, in the field of astronomy, they probably, they and um, intelligence organizations probably have the biggest repositories of data. So big data is a relative term, and that's why I like to, in, in the, my context of education, I like to refer it as bigger data. Um, you know, we certainly don't collect as much data as, say, uh, the folks who are plotting the stars in the sky. That, mm -hmm. That's huge data. Um, but uh, bigger data is really a phenomenon where because we have automated data collection in so many part of our social systems, what's happening is that rather unintentionally, we're creating these huge, humongous repositories of data. And I think an example that most of your listeners will, you know, be able to relate to is social media. So, you know, Facebook started, and Facebook in its first year had X amount of data available to it. But now that you have, you know, billions of users, you know, spending a considerable portion of their day on, on Facebook, that data just keeps amassing and amassing. And, and what happens is, is that the bigger that, that data repository becomes, you can really start to, to find some, you know, pretty creatures and ugly creatures floating around at the bottom of the ocean as you boil the ocean of data, so to speak. So Great. So how did you get interested in big data? Sure. Um, I had this student at West Virginia University named Phil Ice. Uh, Phil Ice is now chief learning officer for Miram um, Agency. But he and I would geek out, and we would talk about data every day. And 
one of the things about APIS is, is that they had, um, of all the universities I've had the privilege of working with, really the most advanced information architecture I've ever seen. And so he would call me and say, hey, look, Sebastian, we've got this data set and we've got data on, you know, 100,000 students and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and, and so we would geek out on data. And as it, um, as it turns out, I ended up um, working for them as a consultant at first, um, working with their big data, and then ended up coming to APIS. Um, in the meantime, Phil, who's a real, um, you know, the guy really knows how to make rain, he uh, invited me along with him and some other people to a, uh, a meeting out um, in Seattle with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And we were talking about how to inform online learning. And Phil and I kept making the argument we should boil the ocean of data. And at the time, that was a really radical idea. I remember uh, a couple of people in there said, you can't boil the ocean. And we got into an argument about, why the hell can't you? You know, let, let's, let's try it. And as a result of that, um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, awarded us, I think it was $1.3 to bring together six universities to federate their data and to begin using uh, what I would refer to as bigger data approaches to uh, you know, to evaluating the efficacy of online learning. And that's really how I got into it. And ever since then, my awareness has just grown about what big data repositories are available, and, and that's how I got interested in, in big data. What's boil the ocean? Uh, boil the ocean is a metaphor for, um, you know, Todd, if you think about it, uh, historically what we've done in, in, in the Western paradigms of, um, of, of research philosophy is that we use null hypothesis testing. We draw a small sample, and then from that small sample, we do the analysis on it, statistical analysis, and then we generalize to a larger population. Um, boiling the ocean is really reflective of exploratory data analysis, where if you've got all the data, why do you need the sample? Why not just boil the entire ocean of data? Hmm. And there, to this day, there still remain um, you know, people who are philosophically opposed to that within the academy, um, that they, they believe that it's really a, they're fishing expeditions, so to speak. And, and, and you know, I mean, both sides have their points, but um, what's different nowadays is that we're collecting data on a much larger scale, and that's what's making big data possible. Interesting. So then why should future physicians or current physicians care about big data? One of the themes that I like to approach my work with is the theme of balance. And so I, I want to address balance here. I, I don't want this to sound like a, an outright criticism of, of the healthcare profession, but physicians are taught to intervene at the individual level. And I think they do an excellent job of that. They're taught to intervene at the individual, individual patient level. Um, I would like to see the balance shift where physicians develop a cadre of leaders who are data geeks, so to speak, so that they can work more in, in, at that level of aggregation. It, it's not either or. We need both. We need, actually, we need all physicians to know how to intervene individually with patients. But um, if you think about what we're doing here right now, we're not delivering care to individual patients. You guys are developing um, a medium that is meant to inform more so the masses. Mm -hmm. We need more of that kind of balance, I think, in the field of medicine. Um, I think another reason why physicians need to become interested in big data is uh, you need to own it. Um, I, I think that rightfully so, physicians are a little tired of the way that uh, big data may be used to, to, you know, to tweak 
their profession when really it needs to be the physicians who are tweaking their own profession. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, as someone who's, who's worked quite a bit in the, in the profession of educators, um, one thing I've always said about uh, the physician community that I like is that you all really take ownership of your profession and you hang on to it tightly. And I think you need to do the same in terms of how big data is going to impact your profession. Don't, don't let other people tell you how you should be dealing with your big data. Make sure that it's your own people that are, that are doing that. Can okay. I jump in real quick? Because yeah. um, the thought I end up having a, around that is insurance has been using kind of big data in a way for a long time, right? And then you end up with the outliers or the patients who feel like they're not being uh, taken care of appropriately because they don't fit into the big lump the big group. Um, and so they're saying, well, take care of me, the individual, but now we've moved so far into group um, and they have to fall within one group or another, and then they're being treated accordingly. So you say that the doctors should take charge, but isn't it possible that others will come in, corporations or business, and say, no, we're going to run the show here and you're not going mm. to be able to take charge. And then the patient's going to say, hey, I'm the outlier. You need to be looking at me more as an individual. Um, so are, are there some challenges that we might face in moving in that direction? Absolutely. It, it, it's all about balance. Um, I think that um, th- there's a couple points. Um, number one, I think that in order to better deal with those forces, like say your 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 payer industry, you know, the, the insurance companies, I think that for for folks like Todd and Nisarg to be able to better address that, um, to better battle those challenges, they need to better understand big data and how it's being used either for or against them. That, that's one point. Um, another point is is that, um, and I think we can talk about this, um, you know, throughout our conversation is, I, I, I don't see big data um, as being this hegemonic duality of right or wrong, good or bad. It just is. And it, it, it's like so many other tools that we have. It presents opportunities, but it also presents some challenges like, like you allude to. And so um, I think the awareness is what you need in order to be able to, to better balance that. Who owns all that data that's collected? Yeah, that's a, that's a complicated question. In, in actuality, in most cases, both individuals own the data. So the, the patient owns or has co-ownership, so to speak, in his or her own data. Um, the provider system owns the data, the, the, the broader data set, uh, what have you. But I think there are things we can do where uh, we make the, the patient and the physician the primary consumers of data. And there, I think we have a lot of work to do. Um, and it's, it's, you know, that's, that's really my job, is, is to help uh, folks in the healthcare industry better understand how we can use the data to better inform the physicians and and their patients. Yeah, great questions. And, and I was just going to uh, ask Dr. Fredericks, as a physician, um, you know, who has seen patients, and uh, how, how have you used big data if you have and if you haven't, how can you see yourself using it? Here's what happens. Some dude goes to a conference and listens to a brilliant guy like Sebastian saying, this is what big data can do for you. They're not very bright, but they're the good idea fairies who make regulatory policy. And they say, well, shoot, we should collect it all. And they don't have a nuanced approach to saying, okay, let's balance the needs of the, of the operating physician against the need to collect this data and find a workable solution. And oh, by the way, let's talk to the IT people about how to design the EHR so that the workflow is simplified and we can collect our data. No, it's just collect these metrics on these different tabs, and if you miss it, you don't get paid. Um, and it's a very kludgy 
uh, poorly constructed, poorly designed approach right now that is wiping people out. And um, and I don't think it's benefiting anybody, but certainly we're getting, you know, terabytes and gigatera. What, I don't know what's above a terabyte, Sebastian. Oh. A Google Byte? I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what it, we're getting. You a know, Humongo Byte. Utah server farm sized amounts of data, and I'm not sure anybody even knows, oh, we collected it. That's great. We've met our metrics, and now we can justify our jobs in, as lobbyists in D.C. But have we actually helped patients? Have we actually helped doctors to do something meaningful? I'm not, I don't know that we're there yet. And that's mm-hmm. why I think it's important to have this conversation is where is this going? You sure. know? And, and you allude to the, the problem of physician burnout, which is obviously huge. So how do we integrate this big data approach into practice without contributing further to that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say I, I think what Todd just said is is really sublime, and it's something that's actually affecting um, the study of big data from an academic standpoint. And, and here's how that plays out. Todd is alluding to something that's really um, – how can I say this? Um, look, I, I, I love data, okay? I, I, I geek out on data. <laughs> I, I, I get excited about it. And so I'm, I'm a hypocrite of sorts, as are most uh, people who work with bigger data in the sense that, um, you know, when I studied evaluation and, and I, I've done a lot of program evaluation, there's a, there's a principle that's really foundational to evaluation, which is if you're not going to do something with the data, then don't collect it in the first place, Okay. Um, but then you, you place that uh, against a, a scenario where you have all these data to play with. And so you sort of look around and say, man, I'm sure collecting this data was a pain in the butt for the, the, the physicians who have to collect it. But boy, am I glad they did because it gives me something to play with. Um, I, I, I don't know about simple answers to burnout, but I will say this. Um, I go back to my point that we need to have physicians become much more intimately involved and how data are going to shape their profession. Uh, I personally believe, um, and you know, I'm, I'm writing about this as we speak, is that um, so you know I'm in my early 50s, and so I started. I saw my first personal computer. I think it was in an eighth or ninth grade class that they bought a Tandy. You know, the math teacher bought a Tandy, and then there were you know four of the geekiest guys in class. You know, started writing basic code. <laughs> I see so many parallels between the the personal computing revolution and the big data revolution that's coming. And I, I wouldn't even call it the big data revolution. I would just call it the data revolution. I see a lot of parallels there. The one distinction is I think the data revolution is going to hit faster and harder. Okay. And in in much, you know, um, and, and this arc, you're way too young to remember this, but <laughs> when personal computers first came out, you know, there was a lot of a lot of these types of discussions. You know, what the hell are the implications for for all these computers? How is it going to affect our professions? Um, heck, I still remember when um, when I was at Marietta College, there were social scientists and people in the humanities who argued, oh, that's you know, computers are great for the folks in in, in the basic sciences, but it has no application to us. And it's like, look at us now. You know, we're all carrying around a little you know computer that has more computational power than the ones that sent man to the moon um by multiple orders of magnitude yes which is amazing it really is um and i think data are going to be the same way um but i would be careful in that this is this is a long haul and and because it's a long haul i guess what i'm doing uh, trying to do is to warn physicians that this is not going to go away and that's why y'all really need to take a small cadre of, of your medical students, of your residents, and of your attendings, and to say, hello, is there anyone out there who's interested in data? We need you to advocate for us. You know, when you look at electronic medical records, I mean, that's, 
that's all I hear these days, how horrible electronic medical records are. They probably are. I mean, they're, they're a wonderfully rich source of data, but they're probably a real big pain in the butt for physicians. Why? Because I think if you asked around, I bet you there weren't many physicians that were actually involved intimately in the creation of them. And if there were, it may have been somebody who was complicit in it because, you know, they're getting one heck of a bonus for doing so. But my, my sense is that EMRs were developed by data systems people who didn't understand the intimacy, the, um, the, the intricacies as well of, of patient care. And, and that's why physicians rail against them, justifiably so. The problem is, is that there, who, is the, who is the advocate? And I would put it out to President Trump. I would say, you need to say to big data in medicine, look, this has to be a nuanced approach, step by step, where you develop a panel of excellence of really good working people, medical students, people who are going to be stakeholders in the future, people who are stakeholders now, and we're not going to go faster than what the profession can absorb. We're going we're gonna to have good ideas. We're going to bring in the best experts, write the white papers, dissect them, and say, okay, where do we want to go next with this? Instead of just throwing it out there on everybody and saying, now deal with it. I think that's a really good point is we're not doing it that way. It's just coming at us like a freight train on eight different lines. It's interesting to say that, Todd, um, and I think I mentioned this to you the other day. There, there was a book written by a journalist about the whole notion of, of drone warfare. Uh, I think he published it uh, five years ago. But he talks about the point you just mentioned, which is, is that one of the struggles we have with, with evolving technologies is that the technology far outpaces our ability to deal with the complexity of it. Hmm. And so when you think about it, technology in some ways is very simplistic. So big data is extremely simplistic in the way of it's relatively easy to, uh, to set up an EMR and, and, and just to, to tell people, look, if you want to get paid, you, you will put the data into it. What takes years to develop, though, is the ethical considerations, the legal considerations, mm -hmm. the, the implications for the profession that is, is involved. And so that notion of outpacing uh, our ability to deal with the complexity of a given technology is something that we're going to struggle with as humans um, you know, for, for eons. But I think that's a good point, is that one of the possibilities is that we may want to say, let's slow it down and let's do it right. My, my problem is I don't think we have ever slowed it down in terms of technology. And so putting on my little paranoia hat for a second, I see not only like the question of who owns the data, and right now it's pitched as this is great collecting all this information that's going to be aggregated, your privacy is going to be protected, but I'm not sure in the future that's really going to be the case. Um, and who are people selling that data to, right? So you do lose ownership of it. And will they sell it to, say, like an employer, your, your health data, which now says, look, this guy's got this, this, and this condition, and now you don't have to offer them health insurance anymore. Or, you know, some other steps are where we use that health information or as a physician, well, you didn't do X, Y, and Z on these number of cases and therefore you're gonna lose your license or you're gonna be sanctioned. So we're talking now at the aggregate level and then we're all buy into it, but what happens if we start going back and saying, no, we wanna start looking at it more as an individual level and then use it for disciplining or whatever other steps that we might take. So I guess that's my paranoia hat because, again, I think in terms of our technology, we do race forward, and we don't step back and say, what are those ethical Im implications? 
Well, that's kind of already happened, right? You, so you brought up Facebook, uh, and Facebook collects data and sells it to advertisers. So if I search something, uh, I don't know, if I search a textbook, then I'm going to see those ads on Facebook later. So is that going to happen with our health data? Is that going to happen with this big data approach? Yes. And, uh, you know, what I tell people is you do need to be paranoid about your data. Um, I'll give you an example. My daughter, um, my daughter signed up for an app the other day that's a relaxation app. You know, that it, it gives you these blue lights, what have you. And it started asking for personal information. I said, no, I don't want you to register with that. Because what you're doing is you're giving somebody down the road a an insight into the fact that you might need relaxation. It's it's health. It, that's health data. That's health protected data. And so I think it is good to be protected. And um, I, I, I wish I could tell you things are going to be fine, but I, I don't think they're going to be fine. I think what's going to happen is you know, these mini revolutions are going to occur. Um, I think um, I think in the short term, insurance companies are going to continue to do what they do. I think if they continue to do so, they are soon going to make themselves obsolete. And, and I, um, so, you know, again, a, a balanced approach. I, I apologize. I don't come here with any solutions. I, I just sort of see the storm coming and I, and I try to warn people about the storm, so to speak. But I, I don't have a an easy solution for for all that's happening. Sure. Well, maybe in the short term, then you know, we, we talk about maybe uh, like uh, the president intervening or some sort of political uh, move here to to prevent the storm, so to speak. Is there anything that physicians or medical students that can practically do to prevent it or, or at least ward it off and, and have it a little bit more in our control? Anybody who's working with data really needs to embrace this as a lifelong learning issue. Okay. It's going to continue to get more complicated. It's going to continue to get more complex. There are going to be impacts that we can't even begin to, um, you know, conceptualize or, or anticipate right now. So that that's one thing. I, I guess what I would tell people is get ready for the long haul. This is going to be complicated, and I think what you can do proactively is build that build that cadre of da- of, of data geeks within the medical profession. That's that's some great advice, and uh, yeah, we appreciate the. Uh the forecast of the storm on the horizon, uh, especially for me as a medical student, you know, I haven't heard anything about this in school um, or really anywhere else. This is really my first exposure to it. Uh, so it's been pretty interesting. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. Um, so I will save the last question for Lisa, as we usually do here at Rotations. If you have any final questions or comments. Uh, nothing I can think of right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save it for the sequel. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Dr. Diaz. Um, we look forward to continuing this conversation. Well, thank you. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medical and is part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. Rotations is a product of the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine and the Scripps College of Communications. Rotations is hosted by Nisarg Bakshi, produced by Todd Fredericks, audio engineered by Kyle Snyder, and video edited by Brian Plough. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we even pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we do reserve rights to all the content. You may reuse Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without the express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as a source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments or suggestions that you might have about how we make the show better, and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com, tweeting us at rotationspcast, or by visiting mediamedicine.com and putting the word rotations in the subject line.